The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Now here's David Tuttle and Astro's master of banter, Blummer. Idiocracy. That's a good word. Oof. I was just like, I'm like, it is. Jay, no. get, Jay, get Jaw, whoever, get your guys to yeah. stop posting. <laughs> that was the whole point of the podcast when we started talking in the parking lot. Like, what do we do for our kids? How do you raise your kids in a society mm-hmm. like this? And, you know, having some, you know, exposure to professional athletes and uh, maybe some, I don't know, some elements that, you know, yeah, bring other people hangers on things like that. So I, I I don't know. I mean there there is he everybody will say this. I'm sure Charles Barkley has said it on air. But you know you got to surround yourself with the right people. That's the bottom line. And uh, it looks like he's going to be forced to do that because mm-hmm. uh, he hasn't done that of his own free will. So I mean we saw his dad on the court in L.A. arguing with someone. <laughs> the refs. Oh, that's right. Team. I mean, so, forgot about that. Whatever. You whatever went on. All right, so are we going to talk some baseball on the Bleacher Blums podcast here? I think we might. Yeah. How about how about we welcome everybody into the Bleacher Blums podcast, give our producer Mark Ramos a solid starting point so he doesn't have to go in there and chew this thing up to get it going again, and have a little more legitimacy to this illegitimate, fun, freeform podcast platform thing that we're doing. It is a Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum. I am joined by my co-host, David Tuttle, and of course, our executive, magnificent, wonderful producer, Mark Ramos. Uh, We are going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk a lot of baseball today. I think we're actually going to get back on that horse and ride a little bit because so much has happened in this last week. The Astros have run back into the second place. They're trying to chase down the Texas Rangers in the American League West. Uh, Still don't have some key parts playing extremely well, but... They're, or they're getting some surprise performances from guys like J.P. France, Brandon Belak, uh, which has been kind of fun to watch. But Tuttle, how's your week been? This is the last – so in, in Houston, this is the last week of school officially. And I've got three seniors who are currently asleep as we record this podcast because the senioritis has set in. There, there's no projects, there's no papers, there's no testing. They've got exemptions in all their classes, I think, and they've picked up their cap and gowns. And we've got family coming in over the weekend, ready for the big graduation week next week. So we are in full shutdown mode. We, we, are, we are the Derek Bells of high school right now. We are in operation shutdown and uh, it is upon us. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Although at the same time, I'm incredibly saddened by the fact that I know I'm losing three people out of my house that I love very much, but uh, you're in a similar situation. You got maybe one more week than I do. How is that going for you, Tuttle? It's going great. Yeah. I mean, I I feel it's very uh, similar to what you're saying. Um, This morning was a little rough in in regards to that, but uh, yeah, we're not going to be we're not going to be empty nesters after this, so it's going to be a little bit different for you on your end. But uh, senioritis is there. Um, it's funny because the AP tests, I think, were last week, most of them. And then um, now I think there's a week of kind of projects and tying up loose ends, and then finals week will be next week, so the last week of May, and then graduation's a week after that. So we're kind of, I don't know, it felt like things were winding down, but not nearly as much as you're – Oh, yeah. School year is winding down. So we're about two, two and a half weeks left. And, uh, you know, we're limping into the finish line. So 
I don't know if that's good or not. But you did say we're going to talk baseball. Yeah, you said we're going to talk baseball. Yeah. And Derek Bell is a great. Uh, De- Derek Bell is a great. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I guess reference, so we can make all of this relevant oh, to baseball. Yeah, we're we're. Have you heard? We're not at story? the Derek Bell stage yet. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, maybe we let's share best. it with Ramos. Oh my gosh, it's one of the best. So Derek Bell, you know, obviously with the the Houston Astros, I think he was with the New York Mets, Pittsburgh Pirates, but I can't remember what team he went to last, but he had always been an everyday player, put up mad RBI numbers, great hitter, and one of the more entertaining guys in all of baseball. He might have played in Toronto too. That's where they drove his car onto the field and said that they were auctioning it off or something like that. And he was like, what the hell? So he's he's kind of got this personality that's you know kind of interesting. But whatever team he played for last, he shows up in camp, and the manager pulls him in and says, "Hey, you're not going to be playing every day. We've got a young team here. We're going to give them a chance. You know, you're just going to be used sparingly. This and that and this and that." And he goes, "Man, I'm not I'm not that guy. I, I came here to play some baseball." And he goes, "And they you know they told him that's not how it's going to be." And he goes, "Well, if that's the case, I'm going into Operation Shutdown." <laughs> That was the last we heard of Derek Bell as he went to his yacht somewhere in, uh, you know, in a harbor and uh, rode off into the sunset. But one of the better stories of Operation Shutdown, and I can't get enough of it because I love that story. It is funny. And that was really the last time anybody's, he, I mean, they basically yeah. released him after that and said, oh, yeah, you're not going to be. I don't even know if they released him. I think he was just like, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, adios. He gone. On the rest- yeah. on the restricted list, he gone your favorite. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're not at Operation Shutdown yet, so uh, maybe next week when we check in on the podcast, we will. Uh, that one we got checks rolling. We will, in. We will reach. <laughs> Come on, man. That's right. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Uh, yes, but what an interesting funny. week. I don't know how much you've been paying attention to. Uh, because it's kind of tough when you're on the left coast where you're at Tuttle. You know, the East Coast kind of, you know, you kind of, there's that bias a little bit where you're like, Psh, I don't care about the Yankees. Psh, I don't care about the East Coast. But I know that being in the game and broadcasting for the Astros, my dog is fired up again. So if you're paying attention on the East Coast, uh, I'm getting alerts on my phone. I'm, I'm cruising Twitter. And all of a sudden, I start seeing uh, this Aaron Judge video pop up. And you can kind of see him side-eyeing, and from center field camera, you can see his eyes kind of move. It doesn't You can't tell if he's looking at the catcher or if he's looking in the dugout or if he's looking at the first base coach, but it, it needs to be said that Pitchcom is in full effect now. So you, the catcher is not giving signs. We're not able to pick signs, you know, relay signs, anything like that. So the only thing as a hitter that you can pick up is positioning, and then you can pick up on maybe tenancy. So if I add two things together with the posi- with the positioning of the catcher, giving away location, and then I go to my tendency chart and it says, this guy throws 75% sliders, I can be educated and put those two things together and understand what's going to, to give me a better opportunity to go out there and get a hit. Or, and I love how everybody associates, if you know what's coming, you're going to get a hit, which is bullsh, Nikes, whatever you want to call it. But if I know what's coming, and it, I can anticipate it breaking off the plate, I won't swing. I think that's the bigger part of knowing what's coming is not swinging at the pitch out of the zone. That being said, Aaron Judge takes a peek at whatever he did, hits a home run. If he doesn't hit a home run, everybody's like, oh, it didn't work. But he hits a 465-foot home run. I was, everybody's like, what do you think? What do you think? And I'm like, I don't care. I do not care. Because I know that when we were playing, and I love saying, back in my day, our guys, if you peaked, you were getting location. Back in my day. Yeah. But the catcher, your catcher would l- give the sign, but he would be looking up at the hitter to see if they were peaking. And if they were peaking, Tuttle, real quickly, what would you do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, air went in there inside. Yeah. Yeah. And the catcher would go, hey, that one got away. Could yeah. you not look at the signs or where I'm sitting? Because the next exactly. one will get you. And all of a sudden, everybody would get back to normal and you'd play the game. I'm not saying Judge did that, but there were ways to police that. Did you have what was your first impression? Because there's a lot in this series between the Jays and the Yankees going on. But what were your first impressions when you started to see videos and commentary on that? 
Yeah, you know, my f- so I love that you always ask my first impression because we can get deep into this. My first impression was exactly, and you know, I, you and I know Aaron a little bit too, uh, Aaron Boone, mm-hmm. not Aaron Judge, but Judge and Boone. I guess we got to use last names here. <laughs> Good clarification because um, I, I knew who you were talking about. Booney and Booney <laughs> said something like, yeah, yeah, he was just telling the dugout to hush up. That was actually my first impression. Like, because mm-hmm. it came right after the dust up, which I did see actually, where, um, they they were uh, on the umpire for balls and strikes, and Boone yep. went out there and got thrown out. And then there was a close pitch on Judge or the next pitch, and you know how you get chirpy, and so somebody in the dugout's like, and they're barking. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, th- there is the the such thing as policing your own team too. It's like, hey, I'm up here trying to hit, like you guys, like I'm gonna side eye you. You mentioned side eye. That's my daughter's favorite word, side eye. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I don't know how she got that. She goes, you side eyeing me? It's like uh, it, it reminds me. Of, you want to go on a tangent? It reminds me of officer and a, officer and a gentleman. Remember you eyeballing me, boy. With uh, Lou Gossett you Jr., eyeballing you, eyeball, you eyeballing yeah. me, boy. You eyeballing. So I think my first impression was that Aaron uh, Judge was just eyeballing the dugout, like, "Hey, you guys, keep it down. Like, let's get on them between." Now, you and I both know there could be more to it, but that was my first thought: was, "Hey, you guys, just keep it down. We're up here trying to, you know, trying to win this game." Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was five or six nothing at the point at that point. So I don't, I don't think there was a whole lot there. And then with the pitch com and the the relaying the signals, we've talked about it extensively on this podcast. That's going on since the beginning of time. It will continue to go on. I think I read an article saying somebody's pitch com was a little bit loud and they could hear it from the, <laughs> they oh, had the wow, volume really? loud one time. Yeah, yeah. So he's like fastball, oh, fastball. Like the, yeah, the pitcher could hear it coming from the mound. Like you know, he was listening. <laughs> it's like you know, if you. <laughs> There's any way you can get an advantage, you will do it. And like you said, I think when hitters, you could always, I always thought Rizzo peaked. Like these guys, you see them look down when you see the top of their helmet. You're like, what's he looking at? Because he's not looking at you. So they would look at <laughs> shadows, right? Shadows for where the catcher is. Oh, moving. yeah. And then catchers always tap the ground. I always felt as a hitter, you could know the ball was away because they would always tap the ground by your foot. Like, yeah, like we're really moving in here. It was the biggest tell on the planet. It's like, I'm moving to the outside, but I'm going to tap by your feet to think I'm going inside. What a, I was like, dude, he's going away. I'm going to tap right by your foot. Like, so that's right. We could get into, we could get into all those little subtleties, but yeah, you could, when you couldn't see the hitter, right? You see the hitter's face go down. You knew he was looking at something. So, I mean, that stuff will continue to go on. I mean, we're not going to get to the extent, hopefully, where Rob Manfred's going to send a letter saying, hey, you're not allowed to, like, look and see where the catcher's setting up anymore. But it'll be a a long answer. That's right. Yeah, sealed letter. That's a long (laughs) answer to the first impression was that I thought it was nothing. Actually, I didn't think he was looking for signs. I thought he was kind of trying to tell his dugout to shut up. But video captures everything, and I don't know if you thought that. He looked across. Yeah. I felt like. You know, yeah, he was looking at the dugout, which is what he said he was doing. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of laughing it off, but again, not that he would tell us what he was doing if he was getting a sign. But even when they give <laughs> signs from the dugout, it, it remember we it used to be first name or last name. Like, I mean, it Your was number, it was easier. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't have to look over there. There's not some guy at the end of the dugout going like, you know, high yeah. sign. It'd be something subtle, like a little, you know, just a noise that you'd pick up on. And so later in the game, the the uh, the pitching coach for the Toronto Blue Jays went down to the end of the dugout and started screaming at Rojas, the third base coach of the Yankees. I don't know. He was out of the box. Uh, there, I saw a video of the Yankees coaches too close to the foul lines or something, but you're not peeking in to get signed. So I don't know what they were doing, and I'm not sure what they were picking up on. But the Blue Jays took offense to that. And all of a sudden, you've got this beef between the third base coach, the pitching coach. They've got video of John Schneider, the uh, the manager of the Blue Jays, screaming into the dugout of the New York Yankees, saying "Shut up!" I mean, there there's something boiling over. And I know that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had comments of, "I will never play for the Yankees. I hate the Yankees. The, uh, beating the Yankees makes me happier than Christmas." You know, stuff like that. So there's this, there's all of a sudden this tension building up and the Yankees fighting the idea that they are quote unquote cheaters for what Aaron Judge was doing. And then lo and behold, uh-huh. Domingo Herman comes to the, comes to the mound and he's already had issues with this, uh, too much rosin, but didn't get ejected. 
he proceeds to have a start in Toronto, and guess what? He gets ejected for having the sticky stuff. So you know what that means. That means every Yankee is a cheater. The, the guilt by association in the game of baseball continues to crack me up. But uh, Domingo Herman gets busted in that series for having the sticky stuff. And I don't know if you saw the video on that, but he had something around his belt on his hip that he was going to. Uh, it was madness. Can you believe what's going on in New York and how they continue to get this much attention? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, and they're looking at the tacky balls in double-A um, to make, you know, I guess it's safer in general because pitchers do, we all like some tack on there just to make the ball, um, you know, stay on your hand and, you know, locate the ball better. And I think hitters agree. We've talked about that on the podcast. Um, hitters agree that you want those guys that are out there throwing 95 miles an hour to have some sort of idea where it's going. Hello. But, uh, but yeah, I think when you know it's a rule, and we've talked about all the rule changes, but this one obviously is a couple years old now. I have, I have watched less baseball this year than I watched last year, but every time I watch baseball, every time the guy's coming off the mound, he's getting checked, or the new guy that comes in, he gets checked when he comes in from the bullpen. They're checking all the time. This is like parenting 101 i mean if you know they're checking then you got to figure out a better way around it right domingo's got the dark spot and he's got the it's almost like he was saying hey you know please suspend me for 10 games i don't want to be out here because he was already kind of given a little grace uh last time he was out there we were actually surprised that he didn't get ejected the first time and so now he's a marked man so um i don't know if it's helping him that much or um you know, it it does seem like uh, it does seem like something that he's got to get uh, squared away, and he's definitely going to get suspended. I know Scherzer got suspended for ten days for something less, so I mean, it's essentially the same thing. But I think the bigger picture and the bigger point that you are making is about the Toronto Yankees kind of rivalry, and I I think mm -hmm. you know this you know this better than anybody. It gets chippy sometimes, you know, like, hey, we're not happy with the umpire. We're chippy. So that that coach's box thing is hilarious. And you can say, oh, yeah, he was looking at signs. It was probably just bad blood. And then you start, you know, just start chirping. Start like, nitpicking, right? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Right. So, hey, hey, umpire, third base umpire. This guy's not in the coaching box. Get him box. in the box. Get him in the box. It's like. Yeah, so then they'll start saying, all right, you get in the box too, right? So now you're now mm -hmm. it's just now it's just let's see if we can get the umpire and you know, you just try to rattle the cage a little bit. So to me, um I did watch the one I did watch one of the games and then obviously read about most of the other controversy there, but I think it's uh I think it's interesting because I think that's just one of those series that probably got away from both teams. And then you start looking yeah. at the historical quotes, like you said, where Vlad Guerrero said, I'll never play in New York. And, you know, it just it just kind of makes it more of a rivalry. And you know who will benefit from that is Toronto because, we, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Astros. And, you know, we end up talking about those teams when the postseason rolls around. But if the Blue Jays can stay relevant and give the Yankees, uh, you know, a hard time, maybe we'll forget about the fact that the Orioles are playing good baseball or the Rays are playing good baseball. <laughs> yeah, and we'll start seriously. talking about the Blue Jays and their potential. I don't know. No, it's crazy. And now there's one more angle to this that I want to point out because nobody would have looked at Aaron Judge and seen what was going on if it wasn't for the Blue Jays broadcast. Now, my question to you is, as a fan watching this, and it'd be tough for me to watch this game too because I, because as a player, you watch certain things that are going on and – Throughout the course of the game, even in our truck, if a camera guy picks up something odd, they will show it to me in between innings and say, hey, what do you think? Is this something to talk about? Should we talk about this? Now, there was a choice made in that broadcast for the Blue Jays, Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez, completely respected and long lifers in the booth. They're great people, great broadcasters. But they made the choice to speak to it. Now, they said, you know, they weren't casting aspersions. They weren't uh, saying allegations, but they brought it to the attention on their broadcast. And Aaron Judge took, he didn't, I don't know if he took offense, but he didn't appreciate the comments. And he said that, you know, he, he said something derogatory towards them and said, I didn't appreciate that. I wish they wouldn't have had done, hadn't have done that. I don't like it. I think it was wrong. But at the same time, it, were the broadcasters in the wrong, do you feel like, watching that? Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head by they weren't casting aspersions, but I, I think you would be better to speak to that, which you kind of just did, because you have to make a 
decision. And this goes almost back to what I was just saying about the third base coach and the pitching coach getting a hit. You know, maybe they have a history, maybe they don't, maybe it just got chippy in there and they're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna uh elevate this. But I do think it's interesting because Buck Martinez is well respected, used to be a national guy, uh, intelligent, knows the game really well. Um mm-hmm. I just think and and you speak to this, please. I just think you it's very hard to what what's the point of bringing it up? What, did you want to speculate? Because how do that's, you think fans that's a are going to question? Right? Yep. How do you think fans are going to speculate if you're on the home broadcast? Like that's that's the question I think you have to ask yourself. And if you have proof that that's what he's doing, that's a different discussion, and maybe you handle it differently, or maybe you really need to out him because you've seen this a couple of times in the series, and you know you do know the game really well. Um, you know, I mean, it would be. It would be interesting. Uh, we went back to that Wander Franco thing that jumps in my mind where he flipped the ball up and threw it over. It's kind of like, whoa, on the broadcast, I think you can say something and you know, mm-hmm. give your old school judgment about how that would sit. <laughs> but when you're when you're unsure, we just talked about there's pitch calm and there's catchers moving and there's less sign stealing and maybe more sign stealing in a different way. These guys know how the game goes. So what is your intention for bringing that up? And if your intention is that- to... Right? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah. No, what, I think you nailed it. That's intention. the question. Yeah. And, I, you know, there, there's, believe it or not, there's history with the New York Yankees going back to 2017. They were they were originally using the TV camera and the monitor to pick up signs and relay, relay that to the hitters. The Boston Red Sox, in turn, were using the Apple Watch to get that and relay signs. And then eventually the Astros get busted. And that's where it puts me, if it was our broadcast, it would be that much more interesting because I'm like, what can I say? I'm already affiliated to a team that has been busted for this. I guarantee you, I would have looked at it and it said, hey, in this day, and I would have said exactly what I just said. In this day and age of pitch com, the only thing you're able to do is pick up location of the catcher if he's setting up too early, and then you're going off your tendencies. So if I have two, if I have an equation that has two factors being multiplied by each other, maybe I can get to an outcome where I can guess a little bit. So if I can guess, if somebody can give me the location of the catcher, and I can add that or multiply that against a tendency, then I'm going to increase my opportunity to maybe know what was coming and lay off a yeah. pitch or be ready for a pitch or time up a pitch. But I'm not going to sit there. I, I don't believe that I would have sat there and said, he's cheating. This is definitive. Look at him peaking. I don't know what's going on because you're right. right. You know, the dugout was screaming. The umpires were getting berated, which is turning into a league-wide phenomenon, by the way. I think the more... I think behind the scenes, if you actually could make it anonymous, I bet you a lot of guys would be like, get to the automated zone. These umpires are starting to fall apart. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, it would have been different on our broadcast just because of the the history that uh, my organization has with it. You know, I don't think it would be in our place to sit there and do that because the public backlash would be unrelenting. Yeah. Well, and I think that's certainly something to consider, but I, I do think – um, as you mentioned, that that broadcast team is well-respected typically. Um, you always have to ask yourself, right, what's the point of bringing this up? And I think there must have been some, um, you know, history I think or you're not. Right there must have been, yeah, there must have been some intent to, you know, make it look a little uh, underhanded. And, and actually, Astros fans should probably be happy about that because, you know, the Astros seem to go to the top line of this discussion every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, do we keep forgetting about the Apple Watch with the Red Sox, which I remember is the first kind of incident or in- instance of, uh, you know, kind of electronics in the dugout. And then, of course, the Yankees with the iPad. So uh, it is interesting to discuss, I, I think, as I said, it's probably innocuous or probably innocent, but you know these things are going on, and you know anytime you have uh, an intelligent discussion among baseball people, but you bring it out to the forefront with the fans, then I think the fans will run with that discussion and probably take it somewhere where, you know, maybe <laughs> it's relevant and maybe it's not. So, um, you know, that's that's Knock really all I have about that. Blummer, you mentioned something about uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a whole podcast, but you mentioned something about the A's moving. So being here on the left coast, um, we're yeah. definitely following the the A's uh, the A's journey, I guess. But what uh, what what are you hearing about that? I think as it's the A's come really, to town, by the way, I think. 
Well, uh, there we go. It's relevant. The Oakland A's are coming to town, and uh, they'll be in Houston over the weekend. But this is something that is I've kind of been following a little bit, just being a Bay Area guy. I went to school at UC Berkeley, maybe about 15 minutes north of Oakland. So I kind of have an affinity for you know, that area and what baseball has meant to that area. So it's a, it's an established franchise. It's got legacy, but here in man, the last, what it's in, you know, maybe in the last five years has kind of fallen apart. I know they won the American league West in the COVID season of 2020, but that being said, it's been running to the ground for the last three years, trading away some big names like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, uh, Murphy, their catcher, is now in uh, Atlanta with Matt Olson. But they have just disenchanted their fans, and they've basically let that Oakland Coliseum run into the ground. It is a terrible facility. Uh, it was old to begin with. It's got that monstrosity of Mount Davis in center field. It is, it's aesthetically unpleasing. It smells. It's got possums. I mean, you name it, this place is just degenerated. Now, fans are stopping going to this game, these games in the, in the last couple of years, and now you've got the announcement that they are done. They were unable to vote through a bill that was going to help pay for the, the stadium that would have been kind of on the like Jack London Square, that East Bay area. And now they've announced that they they announced that they secured some land in Vegas. And then they said, well, we didn't secure that land. We secured some other land. So they've moved a couple of times already in Vegas, amazingly enough. And they're going to move. Now, my questions for you are, they won't be able to build a billion-dollar stadium until 2027. So that would essentially be the move-in date. I've, I've got a lot of questions about this. But how do you feel – How do you? I'm, I'm kind of curious – you know, I think the A's moving is probably a good thing because they need to re- reboot. Do you think Vegas is the right place to move a franchise? And this goes both ways. Do you think Vegas wants the A's? Yeah, I, I think I actually don't. Uh, I, I think that's a owner. Ownership. I'm curious about that. The, I know, but that's the other piece. I don't really know. Um, one of the benefactors of our school, Santa Clara, was uh, Steve Schott. So, um, you mm-hmm. know, and he's one of the owners of the A's. So there, there is some connection there in terms of what he's been doing from a business standpoint over the years. But um, it, two things, right? One is the Bay Area has turned into L.A. a little bit, meaning there's, there's not enough room for everybody that wants to be there. When you had the Oakland Raiders and the San Francisco 49ers and you had the Golden State Warriors and you had the Oakland A's and you had um, the San Francisco Giants and you just have all these teams – and there's really only kind of a couple spots, as you know, where, I mean, Oakland and San Francisco, you had the Oakland fans are much different than the San Francisco fans. And now you realize, it's okay, amazing, when the yeah. Warriors, right, when the Warriors move back down towards the ferry building on the other side of the bay, that Chase Center is unbelievable. They're going to get all the fans. I mean, so basically they took them out of Oakland and giving there's all the revenue. There's a reason they moved from the, Oakland to that side. You're right. The, yes. Exactly. And. And then San Francisco, I've mentioned before, Candlestick Point is still there with a bunch of condos on it. But basically, the 49ers <laughs> play in downtown Santa Clara. <laughs> um, know. So, you know, the, yeah. So the, this, you can call it San Francisco if you want, but it's really similar to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, you know, south of the San Gabriel Mountains kind of aesthetic <laughs> for people that don't know <laughs> yeah. California geographically those places are all really close and now i think jack london that little spot over there would have been incredible if they could have built even I a agree. smaller stadium like a 40,000 50,000 yes. seat stadium there make it more intimate and keep those oakland fans happy i think that would have been great i do think the yep. price of real estate probably made that unrealistic uh, along with the lack of interest but back to my original point is I think it's a lot like LA, meaning there's plenty of stuff to do in the Bay Area and you're fighting for dollars and you're fighting for tickets and you're fighting for entertainment. And I do think, you know, as as much as the Giants need a cornerstone to their franchise, you know, those Gordon Beer uh, garlic fries and, you know, that mm. the intimacy of that stadium is going to draw the baseball fans. And you really needed to, you know, get on par with that or get out of Dodge. And I think that was just their decision with the cost of real estate, the lack of interest, ultimately, even though there are certainly some diehard Oakland fans. We know that with the Raiders and the A's. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's right. Now, your other question was moving to Vegas. I mean, the first thing I think of is, gosh, I mean, I know the Diamondbacks 
built a stadium where you can kind of temperature control, but God, Vegas, 115, 120 degrees in the summer. Um, you know, also again, so many, uh, opportunities for your dollar in Vegas. You have, mm-hmm. you know, shows, all the Cirque du Soleil shows and all everything else that's going on there. I just, I actually don't know if that's the right place. Now, I don't know where the right place would have been. Maybe Jack London Square, as we said, but I think they kind of put themselves in this little, you know, this purgatory spot where I don't know what decision would be the right one, but I kind of think they made the worst of both worlds, which is they can't have a stadium until 2027 and they've already decided to leave Oakland. They might have to forego a couple seasons. Where are they going to play? Um, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. And, uh, you know, it, an important side note, uh, their AAA team in Vegas is drawing more than they are as a big league team, which is frightening. So maybe that's the appeal of getting into Vegas. But I think you kind of, you bring up something that I have thought about also is the fact that they are going to have to build a retractable dome or a dome stadium of some kind to protect against the elements. Because yes, baseball is a summer sport. Summer in Vegas is ridiculously hot, very similar to Arizona in the desert. So how do you convince a fan base at least a, a nominal fan base, or how do you convince, you know, those transitory or tourist types that want to watch their team in Vegas to come to, to Vegas in the middle of summer when it's 115? You obviously put a roof on it. Do you bury the parking lot and put it underneath the ground and, you know, air con- uh, climate control that? Um, you, you have to make this conducive to wanting to come to 81 games in 115 degree heat. So you're going to have to build at least a billion-dollar stadium. Now, we know that tourist taxes are everywhere, especially in some of these tourist cities. You know, Houston can't do that, but they can they can tax the rental car industries and airports and things and hotels just because it's a business mecca. So you're able to do that and compensate. Is, is Vegas going to be able to do that? But my question still is, if I'm the city of Las Vegas, we had a an established product in – and it's really interesting. They had an established product in football uh, with the Raiders. So you're gonna you're gonna get some of those LA Oakland fans who can fly 45 minutes to an hour to get to your games for one game on a weekend, which is great. So you're supplying fans for eight to ten games if you include uh, preseason. Makes sense. You can actually buy equity in a seat like they did. And that was really smart on their part to sell those seats as equity so that the fan can sell them secondhand and make money off them. Now you moved in a brand new franchise in hockey with the Knights, another winter sport where the weather's a little bit better, but they have killed it. And that's what's a little more interesting to me is because they've got 40 home games and they're drawing extremely well and the franchise is successful. Can they They're do the same with the They're also walking distance, though. That's the walking yes. distance thing. You and I both, we were at the Aria, and we see those people walking around the Vegas Golden Knights jersey. So you can it's walk It's a quick there. Uber ride or it's a walk. Yes. So that's part of the allure there. So the baseball land that the A's have looked at is not quite down uh, where you think it would be. Well, I think it's, it's north the of the strip, strip where the Tropicana the... used to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up there. It's like the la- the latest spot. Yes, that's the latest spot they're discussing. So if you can get, like you said, a short Uber ride or Great point. Um, walking from the end of the, you, you'll definitely draw fans because people are like, oh, we can go watch a baseball game today and then go to the casinos at night or whatever. So there mm-hmm. is some thought that'll be, you know, hopefully given around that. But, uh, but I think they're putting themselves in a really tough spot, leaving without really having a destination. We all know that, right? It's easier to have a goal or a target. You know, you don't want to get in the mm-hmm. car and start driving around. You want to get in the car and you know, you know, go to where you're headed. Yeah. So it, you know, the and it's always that saying: is the grass greener on the other side? And I just I yeah. don't know. Uh, it, it'll be fascinating to me. But I, I still, if I'm looking at an organization moving into my town, do I want the do I want the A's organization? Their payroll is what thirty five, forty million. I mean, is yeah. that the product I want to bring in to draw? Well, it's funny you said that because I was starting to think about it from a player standpoint of a, somebody like myself who went to a big league camp and stayed in AAA mm-hmm. for a couple of years and was kind of stuck. And man, all I wanted to do was get up to the big leagues and think have an opportunity. But now you're playing for the Oakland A's and you're like, great. I and mean, you got 2000 people. 
yeah, 2000 people, you've won whatever, 10 games this part. And, you know, do they care? It's like, hey, I find, hey, mom, I made the big leagues. I saw that I was getting more fans when I was in AAA with the Misters over mm-hmm. there at the convention center stadium. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it would be challenging on both sides, right? As a player, as a franchise. We do know that Billy Bean knows what he's doing. And so maybe, maybe he got his instructions and his directions from the ownership group, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And maybe they do have a plan, but, um, you know, right now it seems a little bit tight-lipped. And if they started, you know, breaking ground on construction and laid out the plan, I think we'd probably have less concern about it because we know when yeah. the resources are there and when the mind is uh, right, then they're going to put a competitive team on the field. But this seemed like we get on the Marlins for having a fire sale, the Reds having a fire sale. Um, you yeah. know, the A's certainly when they got rid of Chapman and Olsen and all these guys that they were certainly having a fire sale as well. And, uh, if you're an Oakland A's fan, you got probably two, three, four years left, uh, <laughs> you know, still un- under the ice until you break through and uh, find out it's what's going on. It's worse, yeah. yeah. Um, and ju- uh, the total, you know, I'm not going to make this about me, but I'm also not going to try and extend this conversation anymore. But guess who played for a franchise when they got called up in front of 5,000 people? This guy. Yes. I came up right. to Montreal Expo, so I totally am empathetic towards what – Oakland A's guys are going through because I was on contraction calls. I was wondering what my future was. And I also had to motivate myself to play in front of, you know, 5,000 people. Fortunately, I was young enough that I was, you know, playing for the game. I was playing for my career. So I had that motivation for me, but I can't imagine being an established big leaguer, like in a, in a Ledmus Diaz or a Tony Kemp, you know, what if you feed off the energy of the crowd? Yeah, what if you what in Kemp's a guy who feeds off the energy of others, man. He's a he's a he's a spark plug. But if there's no spark, you know, he's not going to have that energy and that's where I feel bad for these guys, man. They're missing out. Yeah. I feel bad for those guys also and then the last little subtlety there is you know darn well when you're playing for something, the playoffs, a championship, um, <sighs> you know, you're much more motivated to show up to work every yeah. day. When you show up every day and you feel like maybe management or ownership doesn't care, it's really hard for mm. you to, you know, put your blood, sweat, and tears out there. You know, we we started with Derek Bell. Maybe we go back to that, like Operation Shutdown. Like, it's hard to show up to the yard every day without some Operation Shutdown mentality. When you know, yeah. you don't, when nobody seems to have your back and nobody seems to have the same goals that you have, maybe career wise. Yeah, um, that leads me into uh, probably our, our last subject. I'll bring up. Uh, I know you got some stuff, but Tuttle. The new rules. We are at the quarter pole. We're 40 games into this. There's a great article in The Athletic from uh, Jason Stark picking apart what the rules have meant. Some of the statistics have jumped a little bit. But uh, as we look at it, and I get these maybe monthly emails regarding some of the uh, some of the rule changes and how, the effect they've had on the game of baseball. So in 2022, the average game was three hours and five minutes. We are currently sitting at two hours and 37 minutes as far as gameplay is concerned. So they've cut basically 30 minutes off these games. Do you think these rules are working for the game of baseball? I do. I mean, you know, we keep talking about the time I cut down, yeah. but I think we I think we predicted it on here. It's not just the time, it's uh the quality. I mean, you can cut out a lot, right? You want to when you're a writer, I guess you write and you write and you write and you edit and you re-edit and you cut out words that are unnecessary. I think you mentioned this about your broadcasting style as well, you know, through spring training, you have to kind of you have to really be and I struggle with that on this podcast, as everybody knows. But, you know, you have to be concise and thoughtful with your words. And I mm-hmm. think it's working all the way around. You have to be thoughtful yes. about your pitches. You have to get in there. You have to think a little bit faster. Again, I'm curious to see how that works in high leverage games and high leverage situations when we get to the playoffs. But I think from a fan's perspective uh, and a television perspective, it's nice to see the game kind of moving along. And as a matter of fact, the more I watch it, you mentioned the quarter pull, 40 games in, the more I watch it, it doesn't look sped up anymore. It looks like guys know what the hell they're doing. It's like, hey, I'm going to get in the box. All right, let's go. Now, I know there's a period of adjustment, but I'm trying to use my fan hat here and not my former player mm-hmm. hat. <laughs> I do think we've said it on here before, but we can repeat because, you know, maybe not everybody listens to every episode. But I think if they just made the clock two to five seconds slower, 
just give guys a little more leeway in there, I think you're going to find that sweet spot. But I do think we shouldn't be looking at it so much as two hours and 37 minutes versus whatever, 314 or 310. I think we should be looking at it like, um, is the quality of baseball as good as we want? I mean, is it entertaining? What Are we not entertained, as they say? And I think so far it's been great uh, from a fan's perspective. And I have had no complaints about it. I do like the lack of it. I, the less shift I like. And most mm-hmm. pitchers would probably say they don't like that because they want all their guys to be where the ball is hit. But I just think it looks more like the baseball we grew up with. And I think it just, uh, you know, it kind of makes for the entertainment value. You know when a guy gets jammed and he hits one over the second baseman's head that it has a chance to be a hit instead of having like a second baseman, a shortstop, a first baseman, a right fielder all within <laughs> 10 feet over there. They're fighting over yeah. catching it instead of, you know, now we have an opportunity to be a hit. So I like it from a fan's perspective. I think it's been good. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to know what you think from both a, a player's perspective, but also from the broadcasting perspective. Yeah, I've, I've settled in. And I, I'm embracing it. I'm enjoying it. I'm com- in complete agreement with you. And the interesting thing, it really kind of kind of summed it up real quickly was in that Jason Stark article, he quoted a, an executive last September in 2022, and he said, we are watching 1968 baseball. And if you, none of us remember being there because maybe Tuttle was born back then. I'm just kidding, dude. Um, <laughs> I'm just messing. But if you go back, 1968 was the year of the pitcher. You had uh, Bob Gibson out there with a 1.6 ERA. Batting averages were terribly low. Uh, pitching mounds were 15 feet off the ground, and they were just throwing straight downhill abusing. And the game was not exciting, so they had to lower the mound and make it a little more conducive to action. And you are getting more action in this game. The ball is being put in play at a quicker pace. Uh, Some of the numbers are going up for the hitters. Left-handed hitters are becoming better hitters because those shifts are being eliminated, like Tuttle is saying. Uh, You know, the runs per game are up just a little bit. The singles per game are up. Doubles are up. There, there is, there's much greater benefit. And I know that you'll love this, Tuttle. The launch angles. You know, when the shift was being implemented, it was the old Ted Williams uh, quote that said, "You can put you can put everybody on the right side of the field. I'm not going to change how I hit. I'm just going to hit it over their heads," and that became the the uh, overwhelming mentality for hitters. Is just okay if you're going to take away all my line drives and ground balls. I'm going to try and hit it as far as I can over your heads, and that led to you know almost a 13 degree launch angle. And in the years, it's gradually started to go down, and left-handed hitters are actually getting closer to that 12 degree, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it tells you that the adjustment is being made. More hits up the middle. I can notice that just from sitting behind home plate that more guys actually try to go up the middle where there's space now. If you see a base runner being held on, there's a bigger hole open over there. You're seeing right-handed hitters really get inside the baseball and become better hitters. So I... I, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but yeah, because you know Rob Manford drives me nuts. But it the experiment has worked. It's worked. We had a two hour nineteen in it, nineteen minute game last night, and there were ten runs in that game. It was a seven to three game, and we got done in two hours and nineteen minutes. And you're seeing base hits, but you're also seeing strikeouts, and you're seeing good pitching. So it's I, I feel like it's it's in a decent pocket right now. That's good to hear you say. Now, let's give Manfred a little credit, but also not give him all the credit. I mean, I heard yeah, please uh, don't. a couple guys speaking to it. No, I'm just saying, you know, there, <laughs> there's, there are a lot of people that work in the front office that are in Major League Baseball's front office that, uh, you know, probably deserve credit. Now, Manfred, True. as rightfully so, he's the one that said, we got to get this stuff going. But, uh, you know, he's got a lot of people... Um, in his ear. And I do think surprisingly, maybe to all of us, especially the ex players, I don't know if it's 1968 baseball or not, but it's been, uh, uh, positive so far here at the quarter pull. Um, I will correct you on one thing only just say, because I'm not a stats guy, Bob Gibson's Mm -hmm. ERA in 1968 was (laughs) 1.12. Jeez. You serious? I know. Dead serious. That's that's like one of the stats that I know. I know. 1.12. Like 25 <sighs> wins or some crazy, 25 and three. Yeah, so like 25. That's why they made games. the adjustment. It's so boring. There's there's no runs being scored. We gotta we gotta raise the mound. We gotta Get it lower back for the, the hitters. These pitchers are too good. Yeah, there you go. 
So anyway, so that was uh, 1968 baseball, low scoring. But I think you brought up the best point, which is there were 10 runs in a two hour and 17, two hour, 19 minute game. And I mm-hmm. mean, if, you know, let's, let's get on with the show as they say. And I, and I do think it's been thus far, it's been a, it's been a positive experience and um, you know, it's just funny. Baseball is a game of adjustments and we look at the quarter pole and all the players, pitchers and hitters alike are making the adjustments. Yes, they are. And that's that's going to yeah. wrap it up for me, dude. What do you got? I know you got something. That's I got a, cool. I got a couple things. These are, you know, we, we haven't had the Waddle Tuttle segment in a while, but I had two experiences this past week and I'm going to lump them together and they could probably be two separate podcast topics <laughs> um, or at least segments on a podcast. But one is um, anyway. So, you know, sort of Waddle Tuttle say. Uh, there's a new trend I realized is I was waiting for a parking spot this week, right? You know, you pull into a parking lot, it's a little bit busy and you see someone get in their car and start their car and you're like, Ooh, Ooh, I'm going to wait for the spot you put on your signal. And, uh, there's a delay now. Yeah. You nailed it. No blummer. You, Oh my God. That's amazing. You nailed it. I've just got done shopping and I need to check my emails. Oh my God. It's the new thing. I, you see, you nailed it though. I didn't notice it till this week. And I'm like, and I no, had we to are wait two for a spot twice. In this. Oh my God. So this is, I, this is literally what I wrote down. I got to read it now. I got to get my glasses out. Yeah. Hey, I'm like, I know you're waiting so, for my spot, but I'm going to hear I'm going to check yeah. this. Here's the, text this I wrote and, down. There's a, there's a new variable in waiting for a parking spot. Get in, start car, check phone, then back out. That's what I wrote down. That's exactly what I wrote. It's like, <laughs> that is the why procedure. You check your phone? There's a dude waiting, but they've added this new step, but you know it. So you must wait for spots. But it's like you pull in. I got my signal. I'm like, oh, they'll be out in a suit. And then you see them like pull off their phone and start going. I'm like, hello. Hello. Anyway. It's crazy. So that's a new factor in waiting for a spot. All right. So enough said about that. You can add some insight if you want, but it happened no, but to me uh, twice this week. My wife will get annoyed honked. with me because I'll just go park in the back of the lock because I'm like, I'm not waiting for that guy or person or whoever it is. I'm like, dude, I'm going to go park and do what I need to yeah. do because by the time I park, get inside, then the car pulls out and I've just, you know, that's right. Yeah, I waited. I don't know why I waited. It was a little busy. It was a narrow spot, but I'm like you. And this is funny. One of the biggest, I wouldn't say points of contention in our marriage, but is just that whether it be Christmas or not, like I'll just go park far away and then walk up. But when Mm -hmm. I'm driving and my wife is with me, she's like, Oh, go over there. Oh, there's a spot. There's a spot. I'm like, no, 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 I can do this all on my own. Oh no, that wasn't a spot. Sorry. Oh no, no, there's one over there. I'm like, no, no, no. Just let me, (laughs) let me take the wheel. I'm just going to park where I want to park because this is too much. It's too much tension, but waiting and checking the phone, I almost honked. I almost was like, like just hello, waiting for your That's spot. Thing. No like, awareness. You, you got to be so. How about when you honk like that? You're trying to be so delicate, but if you if you if you lay on it too hard, too long, oh, yeah. they're like, man, that guy's an that guy's an a hole, man. Why is he yeah. honking? He didn't have to be like that. But if you give it the little, you're, you're yeah. as a as a honker, you're like, gosh, I hope I hit this just right. Beep beep, and you're like, oh, oh nailed it, and everybody's good. That's right. In New York, they don't care. They just, eh, all the time. But I think we talked about it. There's there's a subtlety to the horn. And it's like yeah. a text where someone's like, I told you, my wife will read a text. And so, <laughs> and that she'll she'll read a text and the text says, thank you. And she goes, oh, thank you. Look at that. It says, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, it That's says, all thank I get. you. No, no, it's, a, it's sarcastic. I can tell. Look, it's, I'm like, no, you can't tell from a text. It's the same thing as this. Like the honk is like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, the, the light's been green for a while. I just want to, I just want to let them know like, er, oh, you know, and then they're mad just at you. Hammer it. The, er. Anyway, you the so, guy, and then yeah, this happened. You see the yeah. silhouette of the bird go up. Oh yeah. This happened <laughs> to me as well. And it's kind of along the same lines, but uh, I was in a store they can remain nameless for now. We can out the store sometime, but it's not really the store's fault. But there's a line where, you know, like uh, Cost Plus has those lines where you get all your stuff, but then it's kind of a like a queue, right? They put all the mm-hmm. impulse items there, but, you know, five oh, registers, yeah. but you all have to go through the same cattle queue kind of to get up there. So I was in a store like that, and there was like 10 people in front of me. So I keep scooching up, like I'm eighth in line and seventh in line. And I get to like third in line, and... um the next people go and they were together, which I didn't know. So now I'm first in line. I'm like, this is great. Some guy walks out from behind like this high aisle 
And there was one of those little hand baskets kind of at the front of the line over by the cardboard boxes. And he puts two things in the car, in the hand basket, picks it up and stands right in front of me. I mean, like, like, like right in front of me. And I was like, and so I tapped him on the shoulder. I mean, he was that close. I go, excuse me, so are you in line? And he goes, oh yeah, I'm in line. And I'm like, oh, oh, all right. You're not in the line. Get back. Yeah, that you're in this line. No, I'm like, you I get that would have been good to know. I I assume this is all assumption because there was no communication, which we talk about. That's why this podcast, we get to communicate with each other, not necessarily with our fellow humans when we're interacting in the real world. (laughs) I guess he had must have put his stuff there before, right? As the line's moving along, and oh, there's something over there I want to see. Can't hold your spot to walk out. Just to walk out and stand six inches in front of me without any acknowledgement. Like, I mean, I, I could see the hair on the back of his neck. Like, I mean, he Ugh. came out. It was like it was like hide and seek. He like trotted out from behind <laughs> the thing, put a bottle in this little basket and lifted it up and stood right in front of me. I'm like, what's that, the, that goes, TikTok oh, yeah. meme that goes? Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. I'll just stand How here. They know? <laughs> I mean, did he move? I was, I'm like. No, no, he went to the next, the guy goes next and he went, he went right up to the register. Son of a- no, that part doesn't even bother me. I would have said, Hey, go right ahead. You must've been here for a while. I would have given him maybe some sarcastic, like passive, but, but just to yeah. hop out like a cartoon and stand in front of me and then just go, I had to ask him. I, he was there for 10 seconds. I, excuse me. Are you in line? Oh yeah, I'm in line. That's all he said. Oh, yeah, I'm in line. And then I ended up leaving at the same time or before him because the next register opened. And then I left and I was just staring at him the whole time, like shaking my head. Like, I mean, just just a little like tip of the cap. Like, oh, (laughs) you know, I was I was here before. Sorry. You know, something, some sort of acknowledgement to give me a clue that you didn't just like hop out of nowhere. But it was like, doing, 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 like right in line. Mm. Are you in line? Oh, yeah, I'm in line. Okay, great. Must be in a hurry. Good job. Those are my two events. Those are my two vents. I like it. That's good. Hey, appreciate the podcast. Appreciate what'll Tuttle say, man. It's awesome. Yeah, though the world is tilted definitely towards the selfish side. But uh, think of think of thee, not me. Uh, if you're out there, that that's the motto of our podcast today. Think of thee, not me, and hopefully the world will be a better place. But uh, we appreciate everybody <laughs> listening. It's been a fun podcast, a lot going on in the game of baseball. Of course, we love talking about it. And we also like to ex- express our appreciation for those in the military, both home and abroad. We appreciate all the freedoms you're uh, supplying us and sacrificing your well-being for our well-being. And we greatly appreciate you. All the veterans, we appreciate your service. All the first responders, essential workers, doctors, nurses, everybody putting their their lives on the line and in harm's way to make our lives that much better. We appreciate you. Teachers, a couple more weeks. Hang in there. You almost got your summer. It's coming up in a hurry. We greatly appreciate you. And uh, that's all I've got. Yeah, a couple more weeks here in California. It sounds like the teachers are out this week in uh, in Houston, so that's good for you. Um, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Blummer, that's all I got as well. Get after it and believe it, folks. Get after it and believe it. You guys suck. Way to go, California. Yeah, we do suck.